Well, this is Thanksgiving week, and this Sunday and next Sunday, we are going to be studying together what it means to have a grateful heart, and uh, we're going to look today at a passage in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 uh, through 19. You'll want to get your Bibles open there. We'll be there in just a moment, but before we jump into our study, um, I would like to celebrate something with you. Who would like to celebrate today as we get started? Looking forward to celebration? Well... What I want to celebrate with you is how God has answered our prayers from last week. If you were here last Sunday, uh, you'll remember that I told you that uh, on Tuesday we were going to be going uh, to mediation uh, with our builder seeking resolution for some issues that we have had. And I ask you to pray, and I'm here to tell you today that God answered. Uh, when the day was done, we had received virtually everything that we asked for. Uh, this means, among other things, that the project um, has come under budget at least $336,000. So we praise God for that. And as, as I shared last week, uh, Jay has done outstanding work uh, to bring us to this point. We wouldn't have been here uh, without all of the work, um, a lot of sacrifice that you're unaware of, but that has happened. And if you haven't told him thanks, then you should. Uh, tell him thank you. Um, I also want to ask you to pray again because we may realize even more savings um, as we work with the county and the city uh, to, to come to a resolution um, over what they're going to require us to do at the Lammers Grant Line intersection. So this one is still up in the air and uh, I would encourage you to again keep praying that God gives us favor in this matter. We're working on some things that we hope will We'll really get this done quickly, and uh, it's going to probably take more than a week, uh, but we will report back to you um, as soon as we have more information. So amen? amen. Uh, we just thank God. God is good. It's a great way to go into Thanksgiving week for us as a church family. Well, um, I thought it would be kind of fun since Thanksgiving's coming this week uh, to begin this Sunday with a Thanksgiving pop quiz. Anybody want to take a pop quiz today? Uh, this is the good kind. You don't get graded on it, all right? So uh, it's multiple choice, and I would like you to shout out your answers after I've, I've given the options. So here's the first question. How many calories does the average person consume on Thanksgiving? <laughs> Do you even want to know? Well, here are the options. 3,350, 3,700, 4,100, or 48,000? So what is the answer? Shout it out. Well, lots of answers out there. Correct answer is 4,100. But how many of you, honestly, you're a lot closer to 48,000? <laughs> Next question. This one's interesting. What popular Christmas song was originally written for Thanksgiving? Was it Jingle Bells, Deck the Halls, Little Drumstick Boy, or Home for the Holiday? Shout out your answer. Now, some of you got this right. Most of you didn't. It's actually Jingle Bells, believe it or not. Next question is this. Black Friday is the busiest day of the year for what job? Is it personal trainers, <laughs> dietitians, cleaners, or plumbers? What's the answer? Shout it out. Yes, it's plumbers. You figured that out. Does anybody really want to know why? Um, let's just leave that, one, let's leave that one there. 
Next question. What was the first store to do a Thanksgiving parade? You should wait until I give the multiple choices, okay? Was it Sears, Pennies, Gimbel's, or Macy's? Shout it out. What do you think? It was Gimbel's. You are all wrong. You think you're so smart. All right. Last one. Why is Thanksgiving so awesome? Is it football, food, family, or fun? And I heard a lot of all of the above. And the truth is, I love everything here. But scientifically, the answer is actually none of the above. Even though all these things are great, it's kind of a trick question. Uh, The reason that Thanksgiving is so awesome is that there is something that actually happens more on Thanksgiving maybe than other times. Something that has actually been clinically proven to bring greater happiness and greater joy to our lives. And it is actually Thanksgiving. It's the giving of thanks. Now, just think about this. I don't know if you've heard this before, but researchers have scientifically proven that one of the greatest contributors to personal happiness in your life is how much gratitude you show. And that last word is the crucial word. Notice not not feel, but show. Um, Our our message today, as you may have noticed, is entitled, Thanks a Lot. And that's a common phrase. Have you noticed that that phrase can be said in a lot of different ways? Like you can say, thanks a lot, right? That means one thing. Or you can say, thanks a lot. It means something totally, totally different. I, I would like you right now, just real quickly, say thanks a lot to the person next to you in your preferred mode of communication, how you usually say it. I hear the sarcastic people out there. So, so here's the question. Are you the kind of person who says, thanks a lot, or more often it's thanks a lot? You know, where do you usually go? Where do you usually land? Well, in Luke 17, verses 11 to 19, we find a story about gratitude that actually points us towards some habits that we can develop that will help us to become more thankful, more grateful people. And I wanted to read this story with you. If you'll follow along either in your copy of God's Word Or the also verses will be on the screen. Here's what Luke records for us, beginning in verse 11. Now, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now this is probably one of the most poignant stories that we find in the New Testament. This story of a small group of desperate men who approached Jesus for healing. And these men were desperate because they were all lepers. 
Now, for us to appreciate this story, those of us who live in a world where really, for us, leprosy doesn't exist anymore, we, we need to understand a little about leprosy as it was experienced in Jesus' day. Now, this disease began with a general sense of fatigue and, and pain in the joints. Uh, soon after this, patches and nodules would begin to appear on the skin. These would turn into lumps, and these lumps would grow and they could eventually make the person unrecognizable. The lumps would ulcerate at some point, and a, a foul stench would come from the leper's body. They would then lose their eyebrows, and their voices would often become raspy because their vocal cords were ulcerating. At some point, a loss of sensation began to happen, which is really one of the most dangerous parts of leprosy. Paul Brand was a doctor who's written about leprosy quite extensively. He worked for a number of years with lepers back in the 20th century. And in one of his writings, he wrote about a a leper colony uh, where he was serving, and he was trying to open a gate that was locked by this rusty padlock, and the key wouldn't work. The lock was stuck. And he said there was this young boy near him who had leprosy. This boy stuck his finger into the padlock and ground his finger around until it opened. And when he pulled his finger out, Dr. Brand saw that it was gnashed to the bone, but the the boy didn't feel anything. He never noticed. Uh, Brand wrote that it's common for leprosy patients to lose fingers and toes, and, and for a long time, people thought the disease just took them away. They just fell off until Brand and his team began observing lepers in a very poor area. They would stay up and watch at night as lepers were sleeping, and what they saw was rats were coming in and gnawing on the fingers and gnawing on the toes of the lepers as they slept. And if no one stopped it, the lepers, they just woke up with parts of their bodies gone. They never knew. Eventually, leprosy would lead to a loss of mental functioning, It would move into a period of coma and then of death. And so in Jesus' day, what this means is that the first sign of leprosy was for a leper, a death sentence. Lepers couldn't go near other people. They had to leave their villages because they they thought that leprosy was a contagion. People felt free to pelt them with eggs or stones If a leper went into someone's house, that house was considered unclean. If a leper touched you, you were considered to be defiled. One first century source wrote that lepers had to stay 50 yards away from other people. Just imagine never being touched again. Never feeling a child's hug. Never shaking a friend's hand. Never feeling a parent's arm around your shoulder. Never knowing your spouse's embrace. You see, leprosy was not just about physical and emotional loss. On top of all of this, there was a moral stigma attached to leprosy in Jesus' day. You see, when other diseases were were cured, they were said to be healed, but leprosy had to be cleansed since the leper wasn't just sick, the leper was unclean, the leper was defiled. Let's just kind of live with this uh, for a moment. 
Imagine today that you're like one of these 10 men and you have a terminal disease and you're in the final stages of that disease and you have been to the best doctors, you've seen the best specialists, you've been to the Mayo Clinic, you've been to everywhere you can possibly go, you know the diagnosis, you're in great pain already, your body is disfigured, there is no hope, you're going to die. And then something happens. One day the pain is gone One day your body is whole. You go to a doctor not daring to hope, but the doctor tells you in amazement the disease is gone. You are healed. The nightmare is over. You're going to live. And that happens in this story. Something that dramatic takes place. These ten lepers saw Jesus, and of course they couldn't get near him. That's why it says they cried out. They were calling to him from a distance. And evidently, the text seems to give an indication that Jesus kind of hollered back at them. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no real uh, expression of emotion or compassion from Jesus. He just says to them from a distance, go and show yourselves to the priests. Because in that day, if a leper was to be cleansed, if they got cleansed, they had to be declared clean by a priest before they could resume their normal life. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. I don't know if you noticed it, but Jesus didn't heal them first. Before they were healed, he told them to go and show themselves to the priest. Did you notice in the story that it was as they were walking, heading, going to the priests that they were healed? This was a test of faith. Jesus was calling them to obey him even though they still had leprosy. And the test was this. Would they trust him? Would they obey him? Would they do what he said? And they did. And as they were walking... Something happened. I wish Luke had described it for us. We don't really know what happened, but evidently where their faces and and bodies were blotched and, and disfigured, now their skin was smooth. Maybe where they had mutilated stumps, now they had hands and and feet with fingers and with toes. You know, the nightmare. For them was suddenly over, a hope returned. They know they're going to live. And now, now they can run and they can shout and they can go home and they can hug their kids and they can do all of the things that all of us take for granted. These 10 men had received a gift beyond calculation. And then Luke tells us that one of the men, just one of the men, just one of the 10, saw that he was healed and turn back. Now, what was that moment like? Maybe as he turned back, the other nine asked him, where are you going? Because we got to go to the priest. And this man said, no, I have to first go back. I have to return to Jesus and tell them thanks. We should all go. We have our lives back. But evidently, the others said no. Evidently, they didn't want to return. Why not? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe they were in too much of a hurry. Maybe they just had the joy of their healing on their mind, overwhelming everything. And it's just kind of a strange thing. I don't know if you've noticed it about human beings that that we can long for and want for and pray for something so desperately. And then we receive it. And then we quickly take it for granted. 
Only one of the ten returned to Jesus, and we don't know how he did it. Maybe he started to run, marveling that his legs and arms were doing just what he told them to do like they used to do when he was a kid. And maybe as he got closer and closer, at one point he saw Jesus, and maybe he stopped a long way away just by habit. Then he realized that he didn't have to stop this time. Then he realized that he could go all the way to Jesus, and he did. He ran to Jesus, and he fell on the ground, and it was that, that the first contact that he had with another person was throwing himself at the feet of Jesus, and the first touch he had was touching Jesus. And maybe this was the first t- touch that he had had from a non-leprous person in years. Maybe since he was a kid. I don't know if you noticed this, but Luke said that this man praised God with a what? A loud voice. Luke just kind of tucks that little phrase in there. He doesn't just praise God. He praises God with a loud voice. And you can almost hear him thinking, my vocal cords are working now. No more wheezing. No more rasping. Just listen to how loud I can shout. What a gift a loud voice is. And Luke says he kept thanking Jesus over and over, that he couldn't stop. And then Luke points out that this man was a Samaritan. And this was an amazing thing, because the Jewish people saw the Samaritans as heretics, as enemies of God and enemies of God's people. And the other nine lepers evidently, apparently, were Jewish. He was a Samaritan, and yet he was the one who came back to Jesus, who was Jewish. And maybe that's part of why he was so grateful. Maybe he figured that he was the last guy, a leper, a Samaritan, who would ever get anything from Jesus, who would ever get to touch Jesus. And then Jesus responds. And if you read carefully and pay attention to what's said, you might hear a note of hurt in Jesus' voice. Jesus asks three questions. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Someone who would not be expected to know enough to come back and thank God. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? Where are my brothers and my children, my people? See, gratitude changes you when you experience it truly. It it changes you. It opens your heart to God. And by returning to Jesus, this man came to know Jesus in a way he otherwise wouldn't have. And Jesus lifts him up. Maybe Jesus embraces him. And then he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Verse 19 in the Greek text literally says, your faith has saved you. And Luke apparently wants us to understand that this man received more than physical life from Jesus. He also received eternal life. So Jesus heals 10 men. And while 10 men were given the gift of physical healing, evidently only one of them lived with a heart of gratitude. Only one returned. So here's the question this story poses for us. And it's really very simple. What about you? Do you live with a grateful heart? You see, gratitude, the Bible teaches, is so very central to spiritual life. Are you aware of this? 
In fact, the ability to express gratitude is one of the fundamental signs of spiritual life according to God's word. Do you have that ability? And if you don't, have you ever asked yourself what it says about the condition of your heart? See, what I want you to see today from this story is something so very crucial. It's this. It's that gratitude flows out of a kind of vision, out of a way of seeing, out of a way of looking out of the world. A gratitude flows out of people who have learned to see that all of life is a gift. Do you see that? Do you think like that? One of the great thoughts that I've ever come across in this topic of gratitude comes from an author named G.K. Chesterton, and this is what he wrote one time. Here ends another day during which I have had eyes, ears, hands, and the great world around me. Tomorrow begins another day. Why am I allowed to? Some people aren't. And I will tell you why you are allowed to. It is because you have a father who loves you and every night says to you, now I will give you the gift of rest. And in the morning, this good father says to you, wake up and I'm going to give you the gift of another day. I'm going to give you the gift of life again. See, it's just an important question. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it, but do you see life as a gift Are you aware that God is is showering blessings on you all the time, every day? And yet, isn't it true, so many times, we just don't notice. We just don't see. A few years ago, a church in North Carolina created this short video. Um, It was meant to be shown at the beginning of the Christmas season, and um, Actually, in three weeks, this video went viral. It went well beyond their church. In three weeks, there were five million views. And this video was all about seeing life as a gift. I want to show it to you. So watch this. Isn't that good? 
Life is good. And yes, it's true, we often experience pain, we often suffer in this life, but life itself is a good thing. As life was intended by God to be lived, it is good, it is a gift. Does your heart see life as a gift? Now the alternative to this, the alternative to a life of gratitude is the heart that sometimes is my heart, and I'm quite confident sometimes is your heart, a heart that is chronically discontent, a heart that often complains, a heart that judges others, and a heart that's dissatisfied. Ungrateful people live with demanding spirits. They demand without any sense of awe or wonder. I take stuff, I use people, I use my days and take my days for granted. I just live with a sense that I'm entitled to everything that I have. And when we live like that, ingratitude makes the heart go smaller and harder and colder day after day. And it is a miserable way to live. And if you are honest today, some of you would say, I live with an ungrateful heart sometimes. I often see myself as a victim who's entitled to more, and I'm bitter when I don't get it. It's kind of an interesting thing. You can't actually force yourself to feel grateful. Gratitude requires seeing life as a gift, which in turn changes the heart, and then in turn leads to feelings of of gratitude. And than expressions of gratitude. You can't like flip a switch and make yourself feel grateful. And so that poses a question for us that I want us to work on answering today. That question is how do I open myself up to gratitude? How do I develop a grateful heart? And in the moments that we have left, I, I want to walk us through uh, five paths to a thankful life. And these are paths that any one of us can take. Any one of us who's willing to go down these paths is going to find themselves more often saying thanks a lot. Here's the first one. Learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. The Bible is really full of verses about this. Um, Let me read you several of them. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Key words right there, always in everything, right? Don't you hate that verse? Sometimes. (laughs) Colossians 3, 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, you have to be grateful for things that aren't perfect. And here's the thing. Have you ever thought about this? Every gift you will ever receive in this world will be imperfect. The people and the experiences that will come into your life in this broken world will never be perfect. And if you're going to wait for them to become perfect before you express thanks for who they are and what they are, then you will never be grateful at all. See, you must learn to celebrate imperfect gifts and cultivate wonder and thankfulness for them. And the truth is, way too many of us, we just take stuff for granted. We just forget that all of life comes to us as a gift. 
You know, if you are married and you are here with a spouse today, you are sitting next to an imperfect gift. And you can take a look at that gift right now if you would like to. It's okay. You are sitting next to an imperfect gift, but don't forget so are they. Don't get cocky, okay? (laughs) You just need to accept that you're married to an imperfect person. And there's probably someone in this auditorium that that you need to go through after this service. And you need to say to them, I'm so grateful I'm married to you, and here's why. And some of you are here, and you're not married. And there may be someone in this auditorium you need to go to after the service... And you need to say to them, I am grateful that I'm not married to you, and here's why. (laughs) Maybe. If you have children, your children are imperfect gifts, and you must be grateful for them as they are now. If I wait to praise my kids and give thanks for them until they clean their rooms perfectly or make perfect grades, I will never praise them at all. And your body is a gift. Uh, Let's just see a show of hands. I want to check this service out on this one. How many of you here have an imperfect body? Would you please raise your hands? Okay. There's going to be a little meeting after the service for those of you who didn't raise your hands. So you can meet the other people who didn't raise your hands and you can get married and have perfect kids. Um, (laughs) You know, we go through life thinking if my body was different or if I had someone else's body, then I know I would be grateful. But it doesn't work that way. Flawed though our bodies may be, I must learn to be grateful for them. Flawed though the other things in my life may be, my home, my friends, my work, my marriage, my mind, my life, if I wait for perfect gifts, I will never be grateful at all. I must learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts because those are the only ones you get in this world. You know, some of you here right now, be honest with yourself, you are deeply ungrateful about some people in your life. People that don't measure up to your expectations. They're not smart enough or attractive enough or healthy enough or nice enough. And they may fall short in some ways. But they all have some gift to give you. And in the midst of your struggle in that relationship, don't forget the gift. See, the truth is about life, it's often hard and painful, but it is also always good. And underneath it all, to be alive is a good thing. And thankful people learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. Here's the second path. Practice gratitude in times of anxiety and frustration. I want you to listen to what Paul says, very familiar verses we've looked at just uh, recently. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about, what's that word? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that means even in times of anxiety and and frustration. Now, this one is a bit counterintuitive. There's this link between anxiety and gratitude that you may never have thought about before. And the truth is you have an opportunity to learn about gratitude, particularly in times of anxiety and frustration. I'll give you an example. You get up one day and you find a lump in your body and you are filled with anxiety and you go in for tests and a few days later, word comes back from the doctor, everything is okay. 
and you are flooded with gratitude, right? But you wouldn't have been if you hadn't experienced the anxiety of that moment first, right? See, nothing really has changed in your life from how it was actually uh, a few weeks ago, except that anxiety has taught you that what you once took for granted is a wonderful gift. And so you are flooded with gratitude that you have this gift. Do you see? It's all about perspective. Uh, Some time ago, I read about a letter that a girl in college sent to her, her, her parents, and this is what the letter said. Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by the student riots... I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we have moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out that I was pregnant. Then he got fired because of his drinking. And so we are going to move to Alaska, where we might get married after the birth of the baby. And the letter was signed, Your Loving Daughter. And then below that it said, P.S., None of that really happened. I, I did flunk my chemistry class, and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. <laughs> I was a bright kid, wrote that letter, right? Now, now too often, we, we try to escape anxiety or deny anxiety, and part of what keeps us from experiencing lasting gratitude is we settle for little happiness fixes, little escapes. We turn on Netflix so we don't have to think about what makes us anxious. We medicate ourselves by taking a drink or overworking or buying more stuff. And we do this instead of fully and squarely facing life, including the painful aspects of it. I want you to write this down. Authentic gratitude comes in the midst of pain and suffering or it does not come at all. Anybody want to say amen? You have a testimony about that? See, you're going to learn gratitude in times of anxiety and frustration like you never learned it at other times, but only if you are open and honest during those times. And that leads to the third path. Express gratitude often and openly. You'll open yourself to gratitude when you express it, even if you don't feel it yet. That's what I was saying earlier on. Uh, Your life gets changed, your heart gets changed when you show gratitude, not when you think grateful thoughts. And this is just something about the way that God made us. This leper, going back to the story, he expressed gratitude openly in verses 15 and 16. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. In fact, sometimes you probably should do this. Maybe you need to be by yourself, but out loud say, thank you, God. Get it out of your head. Get it out where you can hear it. Use your your voice. This is what he does. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Go ahead and write this down. Expressing gratitude leads to feelings of gratitude. Not only say it out loud where you can hear it, but go tell someone else. In fact, I just decided to tell you this. I hadn't thought of it, but I'm going to give you a homework assignment, all right? Do you want a homework assignment? Too bad. Whether you want it or not, I'm going to give it to you. I want you sometime today after this service to tell someone out loud with your voice one thing at least that you are grateful for. Just practice expressing gratitude and you will see the feelings of gratitude grow. 
And on top of this, our sincere words of gratitude, if you notice, have enormous power in others' lives. Now, I have a little file in my office just consisting of notes that, that people send, where people have written notes just to say thank you, or I appreciate something you've done, or I'm praying for you, or I am for you. Sometimes I get other kinds of notes that don't say things like that. And it's important to get those notes sometimes and respond to them, but those notes don't make it into this file. I have another file for them. It's kind of round. Um. But you keep words of thanks, right? You keep them, and sometimes you read them again. Do, you, do any of you have something like this, and you've read it over the years a hundred times? You just go back to it, and you live off of it. I mean, do you know how, how powerful your words of thank you are to the people in your world? And maybe you need to speak these words to someone in your life. Maybe it's to a friend. Maybe it's your parents who need to hear those words. And many of us, our, our parents, you know, they got a lot wrong. And, and maybe your relationship with them has enough pain attached to it that some of it needs to be resolved before you can really authentically express gratitude, and maybe your parents are no longer around. And some of you, you have a mom and a dad who got some stuff right. Maybe, maybe they just need to hear you sometimes say thanks. And something will happen in your heart when you say it. Maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a neighbor who believed in you, breathed life into you, someone who has dreams for you, cheered you on, comforted you when you needed that. I mean, what do you say? You know, tell them, write a note, make a phone call, do something. And maybe it's someone in this room. And maybe you want to go to them and give them a hug after this service is over. Maybe it's time to do something extravagant and get a gift for that person See, however you do it, you open yourself up to gratitude when you express it openly. And when you often do it, even when you don't feel it yet. Here's the fourth path to develop a heart of gratitude. Devote yourself to worshiping God. It's interesting, this theme of giving thanks to God runs all through the Bible. One example, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now here's the thing, when we worship God and give him thanks... Life comes into focus, and it's true that the more we worship God, the more we just see how good he is, right? And practically, what that means is that each of us should devote ourselves to regular worship and thanksgiving. Are you doing that? Some of you are damaging your spiritual life because you only show up for corporate worship once a month, twice a month. You skip it here, you skip it there, you go only when you feel like it, and you need to know you're missing out on things that will breathe life into you. It's not about checking a box. It's about coming into the presence of God with God's people to give him worship and give him praise, to say, thanks, God, for all you are in my life. When we come to this place, we should truly worship God. We should be thanking him for his goodness to us. And then when we go home, we should be doing that through the week. And here's why this grows gratitude in our lives. You can write this down. Gratitude grows as we focus less on ourselves. You see, worship is not about us. Worship takes our lives off us. 
You know, some of you tend to think of worship as a kind of a consumer pastime that you come here to get stuff. And that does happen. We do get fed when we come to worship, but that's not the ultimate purpose. See, life is better when we have a bigger purpose than just getting our needs met. And worshiping God is never primarily about me or about meeting my needs. If you think it is, you're missing the point. See, when we truly worship, it, it causes us to see that everything is a gift. And this is especially true when we remember God's supreme gift to us, that his son Jesus came and lived and died on the cross for our sins, giving us the gift of eternal life. See, when we're in that awareness, when we're worshiping God and thanking God, like that leper, we run to God and fall at his feet, and we praise God, sometimes in a loud voice. We say, God, thank you for all you are and all you've done. And if you truly are a Christ follower, that ought to be your heart. See, the question here is, are you devoted to worshiping God? Do you find yourself regularly running to Jesus and falling at his feet and worshiping him, crying out and saying thank you to him? If you do, then you will, like that leper, come to know Jesus in a way you would never otherwise know him. Now, maybe, if you're honest, you'd have to say at least in about recent weeks, I'm more like the other nine lepers. And what I've been saying with my life is something like this. God, you know, really, my life is okay. I pretty much have what I need, so I'm going to stick to my agenda, God. And if things go bad, if things turn around, well, I'll be in touch. You ever do that? You ever live as if you have really other more important things to do with your life than falling at God's feet and crying out to him in expressions of worship and gratitude. You know, today, even right now, would be a great time to honestly look at your heart and to ask yourself, am I with the one who runs to God and says thank you because he has given me gift after gift after gift? Or would it be more true to say I'm more like the other nine who just keep walking, who just keep taking everything in my life for granted? Devote yourself to worshiping God. And then the final path, Number five, write this down. Cultivate the discipline of noticing life's goodness. I mean, we've been alluding to this, but let's make it clear that so many times we just don't see life's gifts because the truth of the matter is ingratitude is a moral blindness. It is a blindness to the goodness of being alive, to the beauty of creation, to the love of friends and the joy of work. It is blindness to the fact that life given to us by God is good. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And so many times we forget that. You know, one of the things that keeps many of us from expressing gratitude is this kind of this line of thinking that goes like this. You know, ultimately, I'm pretty sure that I mostly deserve what I get. I work hard. I've persevered through hard times. I don't give up like some other people do. I earned what I have. I deserve it. And there's a word for that, and none of us wants to admit that it describes us, but it often does. That word is entitlement. 
And the more entitled you feel, the less grateful you will be. And you will hardly notice life's goodness at all. And the truth is, when you're entitled, you're going to be unhappy. You're not going to be grateful. I'm going to show you another video. And it is a very good example of what it looks like to be that one, not to be the other nine in your relationship with God. There's this media and entertainment company, some of you know about this, called Soul Pancake. And uh, they have produced videos that have received uh, hundreds of millions of views. Maybe you've watched some of them. And um, uh, a couple years ago or so, uh, they've produced a video uh, that reported on how people had been given this, they were giving people this standardized test for happiness. There's some tests out there that measure happiness. And for the first time ever, someone took that test and someone got a perfect score. And the researchers were very curious to talk to this person and ask this person why. Here's what they discovered. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. These surveys that we, uh, that we gave you, they're designed to uh, measure basically how happy you are. Uh, you scored a perfect score. Higher than anybody that we've given this test to since we've been doing this. It's, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Good. Uh, I think we're all anxious to know why do you think that is? Well, I'll give you a very brief little summary of what I do every morning when I wake up. I wake up and I say, this day I choose to be happy, well, and complete. That's first. I thank God for letting me get up. Then I thank God for the fact that I have running water in a toilet. I have soap. I have toothpaste. There are people in the world who don't have any of those things. And for food. Because uh, sometimes we get a mom and think I can make it today. I don't think I'm mom. But we have to realize that we are truly blessed. Then I thank God for peace in my house. I have a peaceful house. I meditate. And then after I meditate and have my prayer, I um, just say, okay, God. Who, how may I serve you today, and who can I help today? And finally, I watch cartoons. And when I watch the cartoons, I wait for the answers I just ask. And that's a very happy, beautiful day for me, because I don't have any, cartoons never have a problem, there's always an end to it, right? Something good happens at the end, and I have several cartoons that I watch until my day begins. And so therefore, uh, I don't have an attitude. I'm glad to be here. I think you just told us in two minutes mm -hmm. more than any of the studies we've looked, we've looked over have. Well, what a great example for all of us, right? And of course, if you want to write this down, the moral of the story is watch cartoons, right? <laughs> so here's the question. Especially this Thanksgiving week, do you want to grow in gratitude? Do you want to live a truly thankful life? If you do, then get on the path to thanksgiving each and every day. Practice these habits of happiness. And never forget that under the hand of our good, good Father, life is basically good. Tonight ends another day. in which I've had eyes and ears and hands 
and the great world all around me. And tomorrow begins another. Why am I allowed to? So when you go to bed tonight, what do you say? When you open your eyes tomorrow and God wakes you up and you are again given the gift of life, what do you say? When you look into the face of someone who knows you and loves you and smiles at you, what do you say? When you eat something that tastes really good and you are so glad for the gift of taste, what do you say? When you tell your hand to do something and your hand does it, (laughs) what do you say? When you read a book and your mind is able to contemplate what you are reading and think, what do you say? When you go to work and you decide to do something and you can actually do it, what do you say? And when you look out the window and you see things that are green and growing and beautiful, what do you say? When you open this book, God says to you, I knit your body together in your mother's womb before you were born. I gave you the day of your birth. I numbered the days of your life and counted the hairs on your head. I fed you just as I have fed little sparrows, and I clothed you just as I have clothed lilies of the field. I have given you the gift of friendships, the gift of a voice that can speak in loud shouts, the gift of the church, and the gift of this word, my word, so that you can learn about me and over And above all of that, I have given you the ultimate gift of my son who came from heaven to earth to show you the way, who went to the cross to pay the debt for your sins, who went from the cross to the grave, dying the death you should have died, and who went from the grave back to heaven so that you can live forever and ever. And when you read and learn That God has given you gift after gift after gift after gift. What do you say? I hope that you say thanks a lot. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?